At this time, our youngest of children can be dismissed to meet their teachers in the back, but they can also stay here with us as we turn to Psalm 121. So during this Advent season, as we remember Christ's first coming and look forward to when he comes again, we're going to be looking at some psalms uh, for the next five, six weeks. Uh, But they're not just random psalms. We're looking at psalms where the authors specifically tell us the Lord is. Because as we await Jesus' return, we need to be reminded of what will keep us until he does return. And that's exactly what our first psalm does. So this psalm, Psalm 121, belongs to a group of psalms, uh, 120 to 134, called the Songs of Ascent. If you have your Bible, you can actually flip through, and you can see that the title at the top of each and every one is A Song of Ascents. Now, why is it called that? Well, these were, these were tra- you don't need the verse just yet. Yeah, you're good. Uh, these were traveling songs. So like songs you might sing on a road trip that ever, you know, don't stop, believe. Uh, the, these, were, these were songs that kind of helped pass the time. I mean, sometimes it took you four or five days to get to Jerusalem, maybe longer. And so you needed songs to remind you of God's goodness, to assure you that you would indeed make it there and not be marauded. And at the same time, it would remind them of their hope and their help. So the journey they were taking was literally an ascent to Jerusalem because if you look it up, Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. So from it's kind of like a, a volcano. From whatever direction you come, you're always ascending. So anyone traveling would literally ascend, a song of ascent. But why were they traveling? Deuteronomy, actually, 16, tells us why. It says that three times a year, all the males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. And then we see the feast that we talked about during last week's uh, Sunday school. So as they're making this journey, a sometimes difficult, dangerous, and certainly long journey, the Lord reminds them and us of who he is. The Lord is your keeper. So let's read God's word with that in mind. Psalm 121, starting in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills, says the psalmist. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks indeed. Um, I've said this before, and I hope to say it again. My kids are among the top three teachers I have in my entire life. Uh, They've taught me about forgiveness and moving on when someone offends you and hurts you, about humbly seeking help. Kids are often better at asking for help than, than we adults are. And, and trust me, I have, a, I have a two-year-old who wants to do it myself, so I understand that there are exceptions. But kids are better at, at asking for help than we are. They, they know their limitations more than we like to admit. 
And we hesitate to ask for help for various reasons, but look, the, the psalmist looks up at the journey before him. Maybe it was a day, maybe it was a few days, but he's looking at the mountains. He's looking at the, the robbers, the, the plunderers who were hiding in some of those crevices of the mountains. And he asks, where does my help come from? Verse 1. From where does my help come in all of these troubles? How will I make it all the way to Jerusalem? The answer is in the next verse. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's worried about what's hiding in the mountains. And his answer is, I'd hope in the creator of those mountains. That's why you care about this psalm. That's why we need this psalm during this season of Advent where we long for Jesus to return and fix this broken world. Because though we are not journeying to Jerusalem, we do have a life journey, if you want to call it that. A, a path, a, a road to restoration. And through it all, we know that this world can be cruel. It can be dangerous. It can be tiresome. And we need help. And so six times... Six times you're going to see on the slides. Six times the psalmist describes how the Lord helps us. He helps us by keeping us. The Lord keeps you. The Lord is your keep you, keeper. He who keeps you. Keep, keep, keep. And so what we're going to do for the, with the rest of our time is look at what it means for the, for the Lord to be your keeper. What does it mean when you have to keep something? Among many things... You'll see the three points on the next slide. The Lord strengthens his people. The Lord soothes his people. And the Lord sustains his people. So let's look first at how the Lord strengthens his people. If you're an Israelite, you know what the path to Jerusalem looks like. You go there at least once every single year. And so you know that it's filled with like these narrow mountain paths. One misstep and you're gone. Those of you who've gone uh, mountain climbing or, uh, or hiking, or if you've ever been to Covenant College, you know what this is like, okay? One step, one wrong turn of the wheel, and your car's stuck, or worse. But look at how the Lord keeps his people. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. Though the ground beneath you may move, Though strong winds may push you one way or the other, though animals might be there to scare you on your journey, he will not let your foot be moved. Now, I've already said this journey and the promises it makes are not purely literal. You don't have to make a journey to Jerusalem for these promises to apply to you. In fact, th this is an image, this idea of feet slipping is, is a well-known image of scripture of falling off the spiritual path. Look how the psalmist writes in Psalm 73. He says, My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? Was he tripping over his own feet? No. I was envious. It was a heart issue. It, it was something about my character. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so when the Lord promises to establish your steps, to strengthen you, it is not purely a physical thing for the journey. We're talking about much, much greater things. When feet slip in the Bible, it is almost exclusively talking about spiritual matters. Many of us have fallen off the path at some point. 
Maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time, maybe one time, maybe multiple times. But very few Christians I have ever met have stayed on the path from beginning to end. That's why Jesus warns in Mark 14 his very disciples saying, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing. Sometimes you want to do the right thing, but the flesh is weak. And so on our journey to our eternal home, it's very easy to get distracted and stray off the path. Uh, we're, we're reading uh, with my kiddos, we're reading this new version of the Pilgrim's Progress. It's the same story. It just has cool pictures now. Uh, and they're, they're really enjoying it. John Bunyan does a wonderful job of illustrating this idea of the, the Christian journey being like walking a path. And uh, the main character, Christian, is, is told over and over and over and over and over again, stay on the path. Stay on the path, stay on the path, stay on the path. This path, stay on it. You're going to want to go this way, don't do that. You're going to be distracted to go this way, don't do that. Stay on the path. It will be hard, but stay on the path. Well, as you guessed it, he didn't stay on the path. <laughs> Young Christian gets distracted. First, talking with pliable. And they get so distracted that he walks right into the bog of despair. And he's stuck. It's like every 90s kid's uh, fear of falling into quicksand. He's, he's stuck. He can't move. Then, even after he's rescued, he meets Worldly. And Worldly tells him, this long path? This difficult, uh, strenuous path? No, 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 no. Let me show you a shortcut. But as you probably guessed, it was a trap. There are no shortcuts to the celestial city. So what happens to Christian? That's what I want to focus on. What happens to Christian when he falls into the bog of despair and gets distracted? What happens to Christian when he is gullible and falls for the trap that worldly sets for him? What happens to him? How does the king respond? What happens to pilgrims who stray? In Bunyan's story, Christian is aided by two people, one named Help, who literally picks him up out of the bog, and Evangelist, who talks him back and guides him to the path. But in our story, for our purposes, we are helped by our keeper. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. He warns us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. And so you are to resist him firm in your faith. It's the call of Christians. Stay on the path, stay on the path, stay on the path. But is that the gospel, ladies and gentlemen? Is that the good news that you have? A warning to stay on the path? No. No. Peter gives us two wonderful pieces of good news that are echoed in our psalm. First, he says that we can resist him firm in the faith because we know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Part of what gave Christian strength to complete the journey was knowing that others had gone before him. Knowing that just as the Lord sustained and strengthened those who went before him, so he would do to him. Is the same God who strengthened Abraham, Moses, Noah, 
David, the prophets, the same God who sustained and strengthened them will sustain and strengthen us. We see this the same comfort, the same idea of, of being part of something bigger in our psalm. It's a little more subtle, and you have to know Hebrew, but that's why you hired me. Here you go. Verse 3. The word you see in verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. That's a singular noun, adjective. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The same God that keeps your individual foot from being moved is the same God who keeps all of Israel. So the next time you're wondering, am I going to make it? Is the Lord going to strengthen me? Do I, do I have enough? Can I, can I make it through this? Part of the good news of the gospel is that you are part of the church. You are part of God's people and God promises to keep his people. But there's even more good news. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, the very next verse. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Our journey has an end. And while it is good news that we are strengthened right now by the Lord our keeper, it is even better news that he himself will restore, confirm, establish, and strengthen you in a whole new way once you reach your destination. So Christian, as you continue to struggle with addiction to screens, food, drink, gossip, shopping, the Lord promises to strengthen his people to keep going. As we continue to fight against pride and laziness and critical hearts, the Lord promises to strengthen his people to continue fighting but he also reminds us that there will be a day when the struggle will be over. And that strengthens us even more. Amen indeed. So yes, be watchful, people of God. Stand firm. And do not place your confidence in your ability to stand firm. Do not place your confidence in your strength because it is the Lord, your keeper, who strengthens his people. Amen. Amen. And so just as he strengthens his people to keep going... He also provides relief and rest because just as the Lord strengthens his people, he also soothes his people. Look at the language the psalmist uses here in verses 5 and 6. He says, the Lord is your keeper. What does that mean? Among many things. No, you can go. Sorry. I'm just drinking water. It also means the Lord is your shade. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. What a, can you keep that up there for a second? What a tender image. So first, I want you to notice two things. First, look at where the Lord is the shade. So, so you're, you're not getting in your car. You're, you're stepping outside of your house, and you're looking at desert. I mean, just desert. There's kind of a path, but just desert. And you're looking at these mountains. You're, you can probably see Jerusalem a far way off. And you're, you're thinking about all the dangers that await you, all the troubles, all the obstacles you're going to have to face and hopefully overcome. And as you're looking at those far mountains out there, the psalmist asks, 
Where does my help come from? The answer. As close as your right hand is to your body, that is where the Lord, your keeper, is. You look to the mountains who are far off. You're worried about the mountains that are far off, but the Lord is your shade on your right hand. That's where he, that's as close, it's a, it's a picture. It's not literal. It's a picture. It's an image of how close the Lord is to his people, soothing them. But also look at what else the Lord says. The Lord soothes the heat of the day. He is your shade. In a desert, we all know that the, the sun gets pretty brutal after a long day. But what you might not know is that the moon also gets pretty brutal. Once the sun goes down, desert climates get really, really cold and windy. Day or night and everything in between. Like a, like a good father standing in between the, the son and his daughter to provide a little bit of shade for her little head. The Lord, your keeper, stands between the obstacles that come into our life, providing relief and rest. I, I, I try to think of an illustration, you know, from a book or a, or a movie or something that's happened in my life. But, you know, I was reminded of the story from the Bible itself. In First Kings 18, um, Elijah issues, not yet, not yet, not yet. The Lord <laughs> can't ruin the surprise. you got to build up to it. In First Kings 18, um, not 19. Uh, Elijah issues this challenge. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. So he, he's looking at 450 prophet, prophets of Baal, right? And, and he's, he's issuing a challenge to them. He's commissioned by God to do this. He has permission to do this. You do not. So he looks at the, the prophets of Baal and he says, okay, game on. Here we go. We each get a bull. You do everything you can, and I'll do everything I can. And whoever, whoever's God brains down fire on the altar wins. That is the true God. Challenge? Challenge, challenge was accepted. So they, they did everything they could. Long story short, we know who won the challenge. Elijah's God, the one true God, won the challenge. But here's, here's what I want to focus on. Elijah rains down fire at God's command. He then commands all God's people to chase down those prophets and even to slaughter them because God's glory goes to no other than to his own name. What a victory, right? Like what, what a spiritual high Elijah must have been riding. It, I mean, if Elijah's in my shepherding group as an elder, I'm not worried about him at that moment. I'm thinking he's, I mean, he's good for months at least. But in the very next chapter, in the very next verses, Jezebel finds out what he did. She threatens to chase him down and kill him. And this is what we get just a few verses after that. Elijah's response. 1 Kings 19.4 And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father. Let's, let's take a moment to appreciate um, that life can get really difficult. Let us never trivialize what, what some of us are going through, and maybe even will go through. Some of the lows of life can get really, really, really low. 
Elijah, prophet of God, wants to die because it's just too much. He has seen God's provision. He has talked with God. And he said, I'm done. I'm done. Maybe you felt this often. Maybe you feel this only occasionally. But we've all felt something akin to this at some point. What does the Lord do? Does he just strengthen his people? Does he just say, get over it. I am your strength. No. Parents, employees, students, spouses, this journey like the sun can be brutal. And when you're feeling scared and overwhelmed, look at how the Lord responds to Elijah. He doesn't say suck it up like we often say to ourselves. We, we are a lot meaner to ourselves than God is to us. He doesn't say, my followers don't talk like that. Christians don't talk like that. Get rid of that unholy talk at once. He doesn't say, come on, you're better than this. Gatorade, is it in you? Come on. He doesn't say, well, you're worthless to me now. I thought you had faith. And he doesn't even quote scripture or proclaim truth to him. We just read Elijah, uh, Elijah, first King, that's not a book in the Bible. Oh, first Kings chapter 19, verse four. We just read that. Here's verse five, the very next verse. Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. And it happened again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. God, the almighty creator of the universe, does to Elijah what I say to my children after they're struggling. Let's have a snack and go to sleep. That's, that's the tenderness of God. God had every right to say, where is your faith? Didn't you see what I just did? Haven't I proclaimed my promises to you? You should have more than enough to keep on going. And instead... He lets Elijah take a nap and makes food for him on more than one occasion. We all have our images of God, who he is and what he is like. Let scripture form your image of God. Do not let your image of God form how you read scripture. There's an order here. There's a priority. Scripture takes priority over what you think God is like. So, when we are the hands and feet of God, when we provide meals, this is very personal for me, when we provide meals for people who just had babies, or people who are sick, or have even experienced death, when we generously and responsibly give our money to those in need, when grandparents and fellow church members offer to watch the children so that the parents can take a nap, we are glorifying God by showing, what others, by showing others what he is like. He is tender. He is kind. He is good and gracious. He is gentle and compassionate. He is a God who soothes his people. And so, we saw earlier how 1 Peter tells us that we are strengthened in the Lord. But just before that, just one verse before that, here's what he says, 1 Peter 5, 7. 
we are to be casting all our anxieties, all our cares, all our worries, all our troubles on him. And Peter gives us a reason. Because you have to? No. Because God tells you to? No. Because he cares for you. Because that is what he is like. And Peter, of all people, would know. Peter, the one who continually messed up on the journey, the one who cut off ears, walked on water one second and then sank the next, the one who even denied knowing Jesus, he would know of God's kindness and soothing care. And he was there when Jesus said these words in Matthew 11. Jesus himself, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, God made man, says, you, Christian, come to me. All of you who are labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, I am, the Lord is, gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This Advent and every Advent, we look forward to the ultimate relief that will come once Jesus returns, but we also celebrate the soothing hand of Jesus Christ, our Savior, right now. The world, the devil, and your own flesh, your own heart, will continually tell you that you constantly need to be doing, always improving, always working, always moving forward, but our Lord, our Keeper, provides rest, relief, because he is gentle and lowly in heart. The Lord soothes his people. On this journey, we've seen how the Lord strengthens his people, how he soothes his people, but he also keeps us by ensuring that we will finish the journey. He is the one who makes sure that we make it to the end because the Lord also sustains his people. Look at the strong language in verse 7. The psalmist writes, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. If we don't read this carefully, we're going to walk away thinking that I can, I can just walk down the streets of a, of a neighborhood known for crime, waving money in the air, and nothing will happen to me because the Lord keeps me from all evil. I can do all things. That's not what the psalm is saying, and it's not what Scripture attests to. This is not a promise that we will not experience bad in this world. In fact, we're promised quite the opposite. John 16 Jesus tells his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation, persecution, trouble, but in the same breath, take heart, I have overcome the world. Likewise, in Luke 21, he promises his disciples that they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You will also be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. That hurts. And some of you, they will even put to death. We are promised tribulation and trouble. He is not promising that bad things won't happen, but that you will be sustained through it. Because again, in the same breath, Jesus promises the disciples in Luke 21, 18, that despite all of this, not a hair of your head will perish. That's tender, protective, all-powerful care. That is how the Lord keeps his people. Um, I was watching one of these crime detective shows. There's like 9,000, so 
take your pick. And in this particular episode, there was a young woman. Um, she was the victim of a crime, and she was asked to testify against the criminal. But he had connections. So she was worried that if she testified against him, that she would suffer harm or her children or anyone else in her family because he was very well connected. Well, one of the young officers seeing this decided to go up and talk to her, try to comfort her, persuade her. And she got so swayed by her story, so emotionally involved, that she made a promise. She decided she was going to take her protection upon herself. And she made a promise. She said, testify, and I promise you that I will protect you and your family. Hearing this, the superior officer pulls her aside almost immediately and said, what are you doing? Do you know what you've just promised? Are you going to be there when they're asleep? Or better yet, when you're asleep? Are you going to be there when she goes to work and their kids go to school? Or when they go to the park? What happens if they send five guys, ten guys, twenty guys? What are you going to do then? Her face turned blue. She, she realized what she had done. She had gotten this girl's hopes up. And she couldn't follow through on her promise. She didn't have what it takes to do that. Here now the beautiful contrasting promise that we have in the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church for all time that all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So, let's utter some amens. God has promised to be with his people to sustain them. And in Jesus, we have our Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Amen. God has promised to protect his people, to never leave them nor forsake them in order to sustain them. And look what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. He says that I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor thing present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Promise fulfilled. Amen? Amen. Nothing else can say that. That's the point. We start every Sunday by reminding you that we do not just come from a state of neutrality to then worshiping God. We always come from worshiping something to worshiping something else. There's no such thing as someone who doesn't worship. The question is, what is worthy of your worship? Popularity and the approval of others will not sustain you in the long term on your journey home. Money and the stuff that it can buy will not sustain you through all the ups and downs that life will bring. Positive thinking and a cheery outlook can only take you so far. You need a sure foundation. You need something solid to hold on to that is real and eternal and all-powerful. You need Christ. You need Christ who strengthens your steps, who soothes your soul because he is gentle and lowly, and who sustains your life because he is the keeper of your life. He is the one who we read in Colossians has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of himself. And therefore, we have the forgiveness. We have what we need. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the inheritance of the saints 
in light. And so as we conclude this morning, when you lift up your eyes to the mountains, to the path in front of you, to the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years you have left, and you ask the question, where does my help come from? You will hear many answers. You will hear money say, here, here, I'll help. Take some. You will hear food, drink, and other things say, pick me, pick me. I will soothe your soul. You will hear social media and the internet and even entertainment offer welcome distractions. But your help, your strength, your confidence, your peace, your hope comes from the maker of those mountains. The maker of heaven and earth and everything in it, Christian. He is the only one who can truly keep you. And he is such a great God that in Christ Jesus, his son, we can claim these words that we are about to sing as the musicians come forward. We are about to sing that whatever my lot in happiness and sadness or in everything in between, whatever my lot thou has taught me to say just as Jesus learned obedience, so we must learn obedience. We must learn how the Lord keeps us through all the ups and downs of life. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say this beautiful chorus that we will sing. It is well, it is well with my soul. Amen. That is the hope we have. Pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for the hope. The strong hope that we sing along with the Israelites of old. That we can look to the mountains and find our help in the maker of those mountains. We could look at anything that is troubling us and know that it is God himself who has put that in our lives. And yet it is God himself who will keep us and sustain us and soothe us through it. And so in all situations, teach us. Let us learn to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And we pray this in the, one, in the name of the one who makes that possible, Jesus Christ. Amen.